Good morning. Well, I noticed something today. Some of you guys were very early. And I found this interesting. Many people were 45 minutes early. I'll let you figure that out. Do the math. Well, good morning. We continue in our series of studies in the book of Acts and in chapter 16. You can turn there with me in chapter 16, verse 1. And in that verse, we now begin to talk about the second missionary journey that we were beginning to talk about last week. But in earnest now, Paul and Silas are preaching the gospel in what is called Asia Minor, also known as modern-day Turkey. Now, Paul and Silas, we're going to see in just a minute, are going to travel. They're going to be moving. They're going to be going to different places. And there's two things we really want to look at this morning. One is that it wasn't just about preaching the gospel. It was about raising people up. But we're also going to see, in addition to raising people up, we're going to see that it's also very much about being directed and led by the Holy Spirit. Because right now, if you were to go in any single direction, there are people who need ministering. There are people who have needs. There are people who need to hear the gospel. There are those who, who, who need what God can do for them, and more importantly, they need a relationship with God. But I know a lot of Christians sort of go in many directions at once and no direction in particular. And that can happen when we're not led of the Spirit. So this morning, we're going to look at those two principles in God's Word as we go through just 10 verses this morning. There's a lot in here. Let's open in a word of prayer. Lord, Heavenly Father, we look to you now. We ask that you would help us to receive and understand all that you want to speak to our hearts today. Lord God, we ask that you would help us. We ask that you would give us the understanding and most importantly, give us the application from your word, personal application that we can take home with us and know that you've spoken to our hearts. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, Paul and Silas, they travel west from Antioch through Syria and Cilicia to the Lycaonian cities of Derby and Lystra. Let's read in verses 1 through 5. Paul came to Derby and then to Lystra, where a disciple named Timothy lived, whose mother was a Jewess and a believer, but whose father was a Greek. The brothers at Lystra and Iconium spoke well of him, and Paul wanted to take him along on the journey, so he circumcised him because of the Jews who lived in that area, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. And as they traveled from town to town, they delivered the decisions reached by the apostles and elders in Jerusalem for the people to obey. So the churches were strengthened in the faith and grew daily in numbers. Now this is just the beginning of a very long missionary journey that we'll be looking at over the next few weeks. But it starts with Paul and Silas strengthening the churches in Syria and Cilicia. Now, this isn't really even the mission field yet. This is the area that Paul was from. Uh, this is on their way to southern Galatia, which is really where the mission field was. Now, Antioch, we've mentioned this before. It's the capital of Syria. It is the place where the home church of Paul and Barnabas and Silas and others was. And Syria, of course, it's the region of Asia north of Israel. It's still called Syria today. 
Now, Cilicia, which we've spoken about. Cilicia was a maritime province in Southeast Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey. So it's along the coast. This is where Paul's from. The very first thing they do is go to the place where they need to deliver these decisions that we talked about in chapter 15. As a reminder, the decisions from the elders and the apostle, uh, apostles, the decision was this, that essentially Christians, Gentiles, didn't need to become Jews in order to become Christians. That was the problem. The big problem was that many Jews were suggesting that you needed to be, as a man, circumcised, become a Jew, and then you could be a believer, then you could be saved. And of course, this was a big problem, and it was settled, it was resolved. The letters have come from Jerusalem. Paul and Silas and others are delivering these letters from the apostles and the elders, making it abundantly clear to Greeks and to Gentiles that this is not necessary, which was good news because, essentially, you didn't have to give up your culture to be a Christian. You don't have to adopt someone else's culture to be a Christian. Aren't you glad? I mean, you can still be Hispanic and be a Christian. You can be Italian and be a Christian. You can be Asian. You can be a Christian. You can be who you are. You don't need to become a Jew to be a Christian. Very important principle. And while I respect to some degree the the, the messianic movement uh, in America, I think it's wonderful throughout the world. There are many churches reaching Jews, for Christ. Amen? It would be wrong to think that just because uh, you're attending a fellowship like that, or because there are fellowships like that, that it's somehow more holy or appropriate for someone who's Italian or Hispanic or Filipino to suddenly dress like they're Jewish, act like they're Jewish, eat like they're Jewish, live like they're Jewish. And yet we see that sometimes. People think, that well, that's the right way to live. That would be the antithesis of what this letter says. I think it's a wonderful thing that Jews are coming to Christ. But I think it's a wonderful thing that Gentiles can be Gentiles in Christ. So this is all we're saying. This is the freedom that we have in Christ. This is the message they're delivering. And they finally arrive at the Laconian cities of Derby and Lystra in the province of Galatia. You're probably familiar with Galatia because of Paul's letter to the Galatians. Now, Galatia was this area... It was in the central region of Asia Minor, or modern-day Turkey. So they're making their way there. They get there. Uh, and by the way, southern Galatia included cities that we've already mentioned, like Iconium, Lystra, Derby, Pisidian, Antioch, these different places. And they had visited there, Paul and Barnabas had, on their first missionary journey. So they really want to return to these cities and visit the churches that they had planted. Now, Lycaoni is a region, a small region in Asia Minor. It's, it's there that they had ministered in the past. Uh, Derby's there. It's a small town, uh, Lystra, principal city, a Roman colony. And they're going there specifically to visit the churches. What do they find when they get there? Well, first of all, a reminder, Paul and Barnabas had preached the gospel of Jesus Christ throughout the entire region. We were told that in chapter 14. There's very little in this, very little uh, or very few groups of people, uh, very little areas where the gospel has not been preached in this particular region at this point. And that means that they're really going there to encourage and strengthen, not so much to plant. Very important. You know, we talk about planting, watering, and then, you know, 
the, the crop comes in, but it, it's a process. And so they had planted these churches a few years earlier. They want to go back and make sure that everything's okay. You might say they want to water and feed the plant that they've planted. So that's, that's the idea here. That's why they're there. Now, Barnabas has chosen to go with John Mark to Cyprus, but Paul and Silas have chosen to go back to Asia Minor. Now, Paul met a disciple, and his name was Timothy, and he lived in Lystra. His mother Eunice and grandmother Lois were Jewish believers. I know this because Paul writes frequently to and, and about Timothy. In 2 Timothy chapter 1, Paul writes to Timothy years later, many years later, but he writes and he talks about the fact that his mother, Eunice, and his grandmother, Lois, were Jewish believers. Why is that important? They weren't just Jews. They were Jewish believers in Jesus Christ. They were the fruit of the first missionary journey. And now you have a man by the name of Timothy, who is their grandson and son, and he is also now a believer. And Paul meets this young man. And, you know, they had heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. They had become believers. Uh, All of this had gone exactly how the Spirit had led. And now there's one man, young man, named Timothy. And God has a plan for his life. And this plan includes meeting Paul and venturing out on the mission field. Now, that's not true for every person in the world. Not everyone's called on the mission field. But apparently, Timothy was, and there were others that were called as well. And being called into ministry or the mission field is a high and holy calling. It's a wonderful thing, but it's not easy. It's not glamorous. It's funny, as I think about, you know, as I get older, not old, but older. As I get older, I realize there's lots of things that I do around here I don't even think twice about, whether it's running to the Costco or picking up water bottles at the shop right. And, you know, I'm healthy enough to do those things now and intend to be for some time. But as I consider all of the things that get done around here, and there are many that all of us do, not just me, more and more it's imperative that we bring younger men and women into the ministry to serve. Because if if we just keep doing this, well, sooner or later, we're going to be the mission field. We're going to be the people in that community where you come and visit us because we have needs. We have to pass on the ministry to others. And so it's certainly on my heart. My wife and I, we like to spend a lot of time with the little ones. And the reason we do is because we love them, but we love to spend time with them because we want to instill in their hearts the importance of serving Christ and serving one another. Because here's the truth, and parents, you know this, that your eight-year-old in 10 years, and 10 years goes by way too quick, they're the adults. They're the ones that should be running things within the next 10 to 20 years. And if we don't pass on that legacy to them, it's not going to happen. It doesn't just happen because you want it to. Parents, your children, this may be a shocker to some of you, you you weren't given Christian children. (laughs) You know, they don't come out of the womb, praise God! It doesn't work that way. Foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. They're sinners. In fact, if you do nothing, they'll be perfect sinners. If you educate them, they'll be educated sinners. If you teach them about Jesus, they'll love Jesus as sinners forgiven in Christ. They're sinners just like you're sinners. We're sinners. The difference is we're instilling in them godly principles, modeling for them what the truth is, teaching them to love God and to love others. 
It doesn't mean they're going to do it. I know it's a horrible thought. But each of your children get to make a choice for themselves, just like you did. And the sad part about that, and God did create us with free will, is some of them are going to choose, maybe, I hope not, but some of them may choose to do things you don't agree with or live in ways that you're not happy with. And there's literally nothing you can do about it except give them the choice to do the right thing. But I tell you this, if you love them and and build a relationship with young people, they're far more likely to at least consider doing the right thing than doing the wrong thing. But I don't want to give you any false hope. You, You have to understand, we all get to make our choices. So as I think about these things, spending time with those little ones now while they're willing and wanting to spend time with you is so important. Because 10 years from now, I want to be able to pass the ministry on to them. I want them to be the ones setting up. I want them to be the ones maybe even starting to teach in Sunday school or lead worship services or start ministries or go on the mission field. The only way that happens is if we take the time and make it the most important part of our ministry to instill in them what it is to serve Christ and serve others. Both of those things. Loving the Lord our God with all of our mind, all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength, and loving our neighbors as ourselves. That is the mission. That's what we're up to. That's what God has called us to do. There's no question about that. How we do that, we can be creative. But that has to get done. So here's the situation. There's this young man, and and it's always a wonderful thing. I've I've been doing this now for over 35 years, and I always love it when there's a young person who comes along and says, Pastor, you know, do you need any help? And I pray for that to happen, like, all the time, because, you know, every couple of years, you need some young people who are not tied down or, you know, maybe going to college or maybe just working who are going to come up and say, you know, Pastor, I'd love to help. Is there anything I can do at the church? Because that's the Timothy. That's, I don't know what the conversation looked like, but this, something about this young man caused Paul to want to bring him along. Now remember, he's a young man. He has a mom and a grandmother and a father who's a Greek. And, and this is an opportunity for Timothy, but he's not ambitious about it. He just sees something in Paul as a believer. He is a believer that he wants to emulate, that he wants to imitate, that he wants to learn more about. So when that person comes to you, a young person, and asks or gives some indication or the Lord shows you that they are perhaps called to something, do everything in your power to raise them up. Everything within you needs to be committed to raising them up. Now, parents, that's a given. You have to do that with your kids. But those of us who are at a grandparent age or you've raised your children, it's still the job that needs to get done. So when I look at this, I figure out in my head, I said, this is so awesome because Paul was the guy that realized this. He realized that someday he wouldn't be around. And, you know, if you, if you grab someone else, you know, who is his own age, that's fine. Silas may have been close to his age, but he's realizing, if I invest in this young man 20, 30, 40, 50 years after I'm gone, the ministry will continue. So that's the heart of Paul. And I, and I really love this because it, it's just so encouraging. Uh, the thing about Timothy is he wasn't the perfect candidate. Because I want to set the stage again for you. Remember, they're delivering a letter, right? And the letter says that Gentile Christians don't need to be circumcised. They don't need to become Jews to be Christians. But you see, here's the problem with Timothy. He's kind of a special case. He is a Jew by birth, but he hasn't been circumcised because his father's a Greek. 
So here's the, the dilemma. Everyone knows he's a Jew, but he's not, if you got what I'm saying. So it's like, it's kind of, it's a difficult scenario. Here they are delivering these letters that say, you don't need to be circumcised, and yet he has to circumcise Timothy because of the circumstances. It's kind of a strange situation. Now, as we look at this, he's the son of a, what we would call an unlawful, mixed marriage. And that's why he wasn't circumcised. He wasn't apparently raised as a Jew, although he was by birth. He had the approval and the respect of the local church leadership in Lystra and Iconium. But of course, that's a Gentile church. But they need to go to Jews and Gentiles and bring people together. And Timothy, in his current state, would have perhaps caused problems. And so we're told how Paul handled it. Remember that his gift and calling was confirmed by prophecies in the laying on of hands. Paul told us that in First and Second Timothy. This was a man who was called by God. And there were certain things that needed to happen in order for him to fulfill his calling personally. And it almost seems contrary to the very mission that Paul and Silas are on. And yet it's not. Because they knew his father was a Greek. So Paul recruited Timothy to join their ministry team during the second missionary journey. So now there's three. You got Paul, Silas, and now Timothy. A Jew by birth, but not by circumcision. I guess he would probably at one point in his life desire to become a Jew. Probably desire to be circumcised. He certainly didn't have to be, but he did. He chose to be. Paul consented because of these unique circumstances. Listen, the Jews in that area knew him. They would have rejected him. The Jews would have rejected him had he not been one of them. And it was imperative that Paul and Silas, on their journey as Jews, reach into the Jewish community and bring them together with the Gentiles. So he was already accepted as a true, consistent, and faithful believer in Christ. But there was something about this man that needed to change in order for him to be used, given the circumstances. Now, this is a significantly less uh, dramatic example. But if you're going to minister in certain parts of the world, no matter how hot it is, you can't wear shorts. Uh, Those of you who have been to Central America, uh, this is beginning to change now. Uh, Going back, you know, 10, 15 years, it was more significant. But I remember Pastor Joe telling us when we were on the mission field that, you know, you're not allowed to wear shorts when we would go into churches. You weren't, no matter how hot it was. And believe me, you wanted to wear shorts. I can handle any heat in shorts. But if I have to wear pants, it's like, oh, no. So you go into these places, and thank God for guayaberas, which are like very dressy shirts that are considered perfectly acceptable to wear instead of a suit. Because if you put me in a suit, I mean, I'd still be there, dead. There's no way I could survive that. But anyway, so you go into a place, and you know you have to minister to these individuals, and you don't want anything to get in the way. So what you do is you wear things like pants in that situation instead of shorts because you know that that will prevent the people from saying, who is this weird American? I don't want to see his hairy legs. It would be distracting. It would be inappropriate. And so you limit, even though you have freedom to wear whatever you want. You, you, and I've heard some pastors say, well, I wear whatever I want I'm on the, when I'm on the mission field. But remember, Paul said, I became a Jew to the Jew, a Greek to the Greek. He became all things to all men that he might reach them for Christ. So an attitude that's inflexible and unwilling to change, that's not the right attitude. Now, granted, <laughs> I'd rather have the situation with the pants than the situation Timothy was in. 
But I can tell you this, it's still the same heart. You still have to be willing to be the person that God is calling you to be to reach the people he's calling you to reach. Amen? So, as I look at this and what God was doing, I realized that, you know, Paul, it, well, it would have been inconsistent uh, for Paul to say to Timothy, oh, you need to be circumcised to be saved, especially when they're carrying a letter that says the opposite. But what I love is that these men were led by the Spirit. So many times I talk to people, I spoke to someone this week, where they want to open up the Bible and on page 56 have the answer to their question, what do I do? Wouldn't it be easier? You know, you'd still disobey, of course, but you know, wouldn't it be easier if you, if you opened up the Bible and it said, you know, you need to turn left when you get to the light. But that's not what the Scripture says. The Scripture tells us that we'll hear a voice behind us saying, this is the way, walk in it. You see, the idea is we need to be daily led by the Holy Spirit. That means it won't violate God's word, but those individual directions, the the decisions we need to make that aren't necessarily yes or no, those have to come from God. And if you don't cultivate a relationship with God through the person of the Holy Spirit, you will not be able to know which direction you should go. And so here's one example of that. But God is clearly calling Timothy into the ministry. He's calling Paul to reach into this man's life, to make him the person, help make him the person that he needs to be in order to be used in the way that God has called him to be used. Now, Paul had traveled to Jerusalem to defend God's grace to the Gentiles. The decision of the apostles and the elders did, did not support this teaching that you had to become a Jew to become a Christian. Paul's so strong on this. In fact, later, Paul says he didn't circumcise Titus, who was not a Jew, he was a Greek. And he says so in Galatians for a reason. A Gentile, under these circumstances, had no reason to become a Jew. But remember who Timothy is. He's kind of half Jewish, half Gentile, which already was a problem for the Jews. Now, I give you all that information so that you can see that Paul was flexible. That Paul was willing to be led by the Spirit. Because if you're inflexible and unable to be led by the Spirit, you're useless in the kingdom of God. If you get stuck in a, this is the way we've always done it, and this is the way we'll do it, mentality, you'll never be able to accomplish the things that God has called you to accomplish in your life. Let's talk about the fact that Paul was doing for Timothy what Barnabas had done for him. It's been said, and you've heard me say this, that every person, every man or every woman in their life needs a Barnabas to disciple them, encourage them. But they also need a Timothy to disciple and to encourage. It's one thing to receive encouragement. And listen, as you get older, the people that encouraged you go to be with the Lord and you spend less time with the people who are encouraging you and more time with the people you're encouraging. That's the way it's supposed to be. One day you wake up and you're the old guy and you you realize there's a whole bunch of young guys that need to hear what you have to say. It doesn't happen overnight, but it happens over time. So Paul is now doing for Timothy what Barnabas had done through, uh, done for him through discipleship. Here's what we read. And I'm going to summarize what Paul said about Timothy in many, many letters here. Uh, He considered him a dearly beloved son in the faith. He later included him in the greeting of six of his 13 epistles. Now, why is that important? He included him in the greeting. He's a part of the ministry. He's so close to Paul that he includes him in six of the 13 epistles that he writes. And he would ultimately write two 
epistles directly to Timothy, as first and second Timothy, as he's out there ministering as Paul had taught him. He's also mentioned in an additional two epistles. So Timothy was a big part of the ministry in the early church and a big part of Paul's life. But this is where it began. With a young man who probably had some uh, stigma in his life and you know, liked by the Gentiles, not trusted by the Jews, but Paul took the time and said, you know what, we want this guy to come with us. And apparently his mom, his family, they were okay with it. So... One of the other things I want to mention is that Paul later testified to Timothy's character. And I don't think his character uh, was all the work of Paul, but certainly Paul had a lot to do with the character that Timothy had uh, achieved and experienced in his life. And that's a work of God, but Paul was a part of that work. Uh, We know that he was trusted by Paul to faithfully teach the early church by his lifestyle and his example. So he was the real deal. Uh, His name means honoring God, and so he was honoring God with his life and appropriately named. He proved himself true on many occasions. He was one of a kind in Paul's life, and Paul had a lot of men in his life that he ministered with and to. But he was one of a kind. A true representative of Paul in Paul's absence. His concern for the Gentile churches was the real thing. And so Paul invested in this man. And his great value was his willingness to go anywhere and faithfully represent Paul's concerns. He was his right arm. And it starts here in a city called Lystra, the beginning of the second missionary journey, when Paul says, and we go back and look at it here, it says that this is the place that Timothy lived, and the brothers spoke well of him, and Paul wanted to take him along on the journey. He was recruited into the ministry. And so... I love that relationship. Uh, It's not the only relationship like that in the Bible. We've talked about a lot of other young men and women that that God can work through, but this relationship was a very important relationship in Paul's life. Now, Paul, Silas, and Timothy strengthened the churches in southern Galatia. So talk about on-the-job training. We used to call it in the corporate world just-in-time training, which basically was also called baptism by fire. You basically just, you know, come on, we're doing this. And you're like, I don't know how to do this. Well, you're going to learn how to do this by doing this. And there's nothing better than that in ministry. You know, you just, I mean, on the mission field, nobody really, I mean, you can go to school. They'll teach you about missions. But if you're going to learn what it is to be a missionary, you actually have to go. And, and you can go to school and get a degree in ministry, but in order to really understand and do ministry, you have to say to the pastor and to the leadership team, listen, I'm here, can I help out? And then you'll find out about, in a good church, you'll find all about ministry because that is how you learn. So here they are doing the very work of the ministry, traveling from town to town, delivering the decisions reached by the apostles and the elders. And notice the churches were strengthened in their faith and they grew in numbers each day. So not only did they go back to encourage the churches, the churches continued to grow. So the the lesson of this first section is this. It's a very simple application Maybe you're that Timothy right now, man or woman. Maybe you're the Timothy right now. Maybe you need to be invested in. And so if you can relate to Timothy, then I would say, raise your hand, so to speak. Speak to somebody and say, if you're called, I would like to serve. I would like to get involved. I'd like to go on a missions trip. I'd like to get involved in ministry. Pastor Tim, I'd love to help you out. So when that happens, you open up the door, if God is calling you, to an opportunity to fulfill your calling. 
But maybe you're more like Paul. Maybe you've been doing this for a while. Maybe you've been leading ministries for years. You've been on many, many mission trips, and you're thinking, heck, there's, there's less years ahead of me than there were behind me. I, I need to start to pass on my knowledge and the things I understand. You know, when you think about a, a family recipe, you know, we, Italians, we have these family recipes. When, when you think about a, a secret ingredient or a family recipe, you, you know, that has to be passed on, right? And if you pass on before that recipe's passed on, all anyone's ever going to do is talk about how good it was. But if you speak to your family, it's okay, I need to show you how I make this brajol. By the way, Italians, we have a love affair with food. You know this. And when I say brajol, Bob, Bob got excited. I saw it in his eyes. Because there's something about the way we do things, and it might not even be the best way, although we think it is. It's that's what we're used to. That's what it's supposed to taste like. Listen, that will never happen if you don't pass it on. Ministry, the ministry we look around and we see here happens because God has called men and women to do what they're called to do, the way they're called to do it. We have to pass that on because, brothers and sisters, I've already been in this church almost 20 years. I was in another church for 20 years before that. 20 years from now, if the Lord should tarry, I better not be the guy making all the decisions. And things change. And ministries, you know, they change flavor a little bit. They should. But the core of what we do here can't change. And that is to love God and to love one another. And how many moves of the Spirit have died in one generation because no one took the time to pass on the family recipe? So, the application for us, pass it on. It starts with a young man in Lystra, but that's not where it ends. So now, continuing on in our text, Paul and his team, they travel through the areas of Phrygia and Galatia. They make their way to a city called Troas. So let's talk a little bit about that. Let's read in verses 6 through 8 in our text in, in Acts chapter 16. We read there that Paul and his companions travel through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been, notice, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. That's proconsular Asia, not Asia Minor, because they've been in Asia Minor. Proconsular Asia, I'll talk about in just a minute, it's Western uh, Asia. It's the area uh, of modern-day Turkey, but Western Turkey. An area along the coast there. But they were kept from going there. Now, that doesn't sound right, does it, to most of us? They tried, okay, notice, they, they, they were kept from preaching the word in the province of Asia. Have you ever heard the Lord pretty much tell you, no, you're not going to minister to that person? We put ourselves on guilt trips. Oh, I didn't minister to that person. Why didn't I minister to that person? And, and maybe you should have, but sometimes you weren't supposed to. That may not be your calling. You're not called to reach every single person on the planet. You couldn't do it if you were. So, Understand, you need to be led of the Spirit, not just in passing on the ministry and missions to others. You need to be led of the Spirit in ministering. In ministering. What ministries you get involved in, what church you join, what place you go to, what things you get involved in. Those are the things that God has to speak to you. No pastor can tell you, that that gentleman there, I have a word of prophecy. He is called. Now, maybe there is a word of prophecy. But that's God speaking through someone and telling you what 
you're called to do. But no one can take that upon themselves and decide for you what you're called to do or where you're called to go. That is a work of God's Holy Spirit. Amen? So, back to our text. I'll read again. Paul and his companions traveled throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. And when they came to the border of Mysia, they tried to enter Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. So they passed by Mysia and went down to Troas. You know, when doors close, it's for a reason. Doors close so that you'll walk through a different door. They're being led by the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Jesus. By the way, isn't it interesting? Holy Spirit, Spirit of Jesus, synonymous. Paul and his team, they're they're preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ throughout these areas, large areas, Phrygia and the province of Galatia. By the way, Phrygia was a region in Asia Minor. It's it's between Galatia and Mysia. It's on the way. It's sort of sandwiched in between there. It included cities you may be familiar with, Laodicea, Heropolis, Colossae. Those were cities that Paul later wrote to because there were churches planted in these cities. And he wrote letters to the church in Laodicea and the church in Colossae. And we actually have Paul's letter to the Colossians. We hear about the church in Laodicea in the book of Revelation. And Paul wrote a letter. We don't have that letter, but we do have the letter to the Colossians. So God is working in Galatia. He's working in Phrygia. As I've said, Galatia is the central region, so they make their way to actually the most populated area of Asia Minor, proconsular Asia, right there in that area. Uh, Let me give you an understanding of what proconsular Asia was. Again, the western region of Asia Minor, it included, it was on the border of Phrygia, and it included cities you may be familiar with, Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia. Sound familiar? Seven churches of Revelation. And Paul later wrote to the church in Ephesus, and so we have the letter to the Ephesians. That's later. But he administered, by the time he wrote that letter, he administered there for three years. So Paul will get to proconsular Asia and spend a lot of time there. In fact, Paul spent the most amount of time of any of the churches in Ephesus in proconsular Asia. But that's not yet. That's on the third missionary journey. Why is that important? Because there's an order to God's leading. You don't get to decide, well, you know, now that I think about it, I really feel called to Hawaii, Maui in particular. People need Jesus in Maui. And after that, maybe I'll go to Fiji. That sounds pretty nice, right? But you don't get to decide that. And maybe God will call you to Maui. I guess people are called to Maui. I'm called to New Jersey, so how does that fare? I look at this, I realize, you know, it's not that he couldn't go there. It's not that it was wrong to go there. It's that it wasn't where God was calling him to go at that time. Now, Paul and Silas and Timothy, they wanted to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ in Asia. That's where most of the people were. So they're thinking, well, why wouldn't we go there, right? But they were unable. It says they were unable to do so. Now, how did that work out? It might have been that Paul was sick. We, we don't know what happened. I mean, God had not called them to preach the gospel everywhere to everyone. Therefore, go into all the earth, right? Therefore, go in the Great Commission doesn't mean that we won't be redirected somewhere else. We must allow the Holy Spirit to direct us to where and to whom we share the gospel. 
So rather than just praying for opportunities, pray for God to direct you to opportunities. I think that's a very good way to pray. And you'll be more effective when you're actually ministering in the power of the Holy Spirit according to his will than trying to do it on your own. Well, God may have used natural circumstances. He may have used sickness. We don't know. But for whatever reason, they, as it says there, they were kept from preaching the word in the province of Asia. I don't know how, but something kept them from doing it. So they couldn't. And then we talk about this area of Bithynia. Now, the Holy Spirit, who is the Spirit of Jesus, as we've said, would not allow Paul and his team to enter Bithynia. They couldn't even go in there. What does that mean? I don't know. It doesn't say. But they weren't even allowed to enter that area. I suppose it could have happened in a number of ways. There could could have been a storm and the, the river took out the only bridge. Or it could have been that they got sick or it was too cold. I don't know. But something about the circumstances kept them from going into Bithynia. And you don't hear much about Bithynia as a result. Now, let's talk about Mysia. Mysia is a city there, it was, it, or a province. It was a province in the northwest of Asia Minor. So it's, it's right there, if, as if you were heading up towards the Soviet Union or into northern, um, uh, northern Europe. You're going into that area uh, north of Israel and Syria, north of Turkey. But God hadn't called them to go there. We'll find out in a minute. He had called them to go somewhere else. You can't go in the opposite direction of where God is calling you and be successful in ministry. You have to go where God has called you to go. That's, that's the principle. That's the ministry uh, application this morning. So Mysia is a province. It's included, it included the cities of Pergamum and Troas. So they get to Troas, and that's as far as they're allowed to go. Uh, this was the gateway into the provinces to the north. Bithynia was a Roman province. Uh, It was north of all the areas that they were in, but they wanted to preach the gospel there. Have you ever wanted to do something and God said no? It can be very discouraging. You start to think there's something wrong with you. Well, why wouldn't God want me to minister to my neighbor? Why wouldn't God want me to minister to my brother or my sister? Well, why wouldn't God want me to move to that place or go here or go there or go to that school or take this job? Why wouldn't God? He didn't give me any good reason. There's no sin involved. Yeah, except that he's not calling you to go to Bithynia. Bithynia is anywhere where you want to go that God says no. You have a Bithynia? We all do. The best thing to do is just say, okay. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. That's what happens when you try to go into Bithynia and God says no. Great application for us today. Well, you know, God specifically refused to allow them to minister there, but God is faithful to open doors and to direct us forward. You can know that. God will lead you. So what does Paul and his team do? They, they, they pass by Missy and they go down to Troas. Now, you might be saying, well, isn't Troas close to that area? Yeah, but it's also the, the, the seaport from which you sail somewhere else. So they go to the place where they think, well, I, I don't know where God is leading us yes, but, yet, but we know we're not going north. We've already been east. Uh, God didn't let us go south. What's left? West. So they knew this much. Well, if we're going to go west, the Aegean Sea is to our west. So we better go to a seaport and wait for further instruction. So they go to Troas. And that's why they're there, because that is where you would sail from. By the way, Troas was a port city on the coast of Mysia, northwest of modern-day Turkey. 
or Asia Minor. By the way, you might find this interesting. It was named after the ancient city of Troy, Troas. And the ancient city was actually located, they found out later, uh, they used to think it was uh, a fictional uh, city. It actually wasn't. The actual ancient city was discovered years later, uh, about four miles to the north of Troas. So Troy was real, and they were in the area of what was once Troy. So God now begins to make it clear to them where they are called to go. Now I want to set this up. Paul was sensitive to realize they needed help. So Timothy comes on board. They're sensitive to go to the places God had called them to go. And they know how to recognize when God is saying no, not south, no, not north. And as they sit there in this city of Troas, waiting for further instruction, God gives them the direction that they're waiting for. But, you know, if they kept trying to go south, if they kept trying to go north, if they went back east, if they started fighting against all the circumstances and striving to do what they felt they needed to do, where's Bithynia? Give me Bithynia. Then they would have missed it. But here's what happened. Look at verses 9 and 10. During the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. And after Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Yeah, pretty obvious, right? It should be that obvious to you. Your calling should be completely and totally obvious. And when you try to do something that you're not called to do, you should hit a wall or a locked door. And then as you pause and you pray and you wait on God, God will not only open that door, he'll throw you through it. And that's what's happening here. And it's so encouraging to know we can trust God, the Holy Spirit, to lead us. God called Paul and his team to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ in Macedonia. He received a vision from from the Lord during the night while they were in Troas, right where they needed to be. Because guess what? If you're going to sail to Macedonia, that's where you want to be. He saw a Macedonian man standing and begging him to come to Macedonia to help them. Now, by the way, Luke, who's the author of the book of Acts, was most likely a Macedonian. He may have been the man that Paul saw in his vision. At this point, he hasn't met Luke yet. So imagine he has this vision, and it's a Macedonian man, and then the next day, that man shows up. Imagine having a vision of someone, seeing their face, and be like, wow, you know, I had this dream, and he was clearly Macedonian. I never saw the guy before. But then, a Macedonian man shows up. Now, Luke, of course, is the author of this book and the Gospel of Luke, but at this point, he was a doctor. And we don't know all of the particulars, but we do know that Macedonia was the area to the west. It's northern Greece, basically, across the Aegean Sea. And Macedonia was a Roman province of North Greece. It's also the birthplace of Alexander the Great. Now, Alexander the Great created the Greek Empire. He also created the Hellenistic or Greek culture. So this vast empire changed the world. Everyone within the boundaries of this empire, which had since been taken over by the Romans, spoke Greek. But if you were going to Macedonia, it would be kind of like going to, let's say, Mount Vernon, okay, in Virginia. Uh, You would expect to hear a lot about who? George Washington. Washington. Very good. Wow. Good. History's not dead yet. 
you know, you, you would expect that, right? So they're going to Macedonia. Now, this is the interesting thing. In fact, Troas, the city of Troas, the full name of Troas was Alexandrian Troas, and it was named in honor of Alexander. So as they get closer to Macedonia, everything's about Alexander. You know, there are like, I guess, eight or nine Washington or Washington townships in New Jersey. Did you know that? There's a few of them. So that you live in Washington doesn't mean you live in Washington or Washington, D.C. So, you know, this is an area where everyone's always talking about this, this guy who had lived 300 years earlier, Alexander the Great. In fact, his uh, father's name was Philip of Macedon, and that's why they named Philippi, Philippi. So I'm just giving you a little bit of the culture here. Oh, another point, Thessalonica. Thessalonica was named in honor of Alexander's sister, or I mean, his sister, the wife of Cassander. So Thessalonica, you know, Troas, all of these places are named after people in Alexander the Great's universe. So this is becoming a very Greek experience. That's the point I'm trying to make. And they're still in Asia Minor. They haven't even gotten into Macedonia. And that's where God is calling them to go. Now, Paul and his team were called by God to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ to the Macedonians. When Luke begins to write this section, you probably noticed already in verse 10, he starts to use for the first time pronouns like we and us. As the author, we and us. Before that, he was speaking about things that he was not a part of. This indicates that he had joined Paul's ministry team at this time. So now you have Paul, Silas, Timothy, and Luke, all on the missions team, and Luke is a Macedonian. Now, he had probably arrived in Troas right after Paul had seen him in the vision. As I've said, Luke was a doctor. Paul was often in need of medical attention. And because of Luke being there at that time, I assume, although I may be wrong, that part of the reason why they couldn't go into proconsular Asia or into Bithynia was Paul's health that it's possible that Paul's health prevented them from going to those parts of the world. Now, if that's true, and I don't know that it is, has there ever been a time in your life where God has used sickness or illness to direct you or speak to you? It's not all bad news. I mean, as you're laying there on the couch with a fever, you might be thinking, I really wish God could have told me this differently. But God does sometimes work through difficulties and trials and sickness. And those of you, I mean, let's be honest, I mean, most of you have have been sick in the last year or so, most of you, unfortunately. Many of you have had COVID, some of you have had other things. But during that time, was God near you? Was God speaking to you? Did God direct you? Well, that's probably what happened, although we don't know. Whatever it was, it makes sense that if Paul was sick, Luke would have showed up. He was a doctor. So let's say they meet, but then he shows up, and Paul looks at him and says... I dreamed about you last night. <laughs> that's, kind of, that's kind of crazy. And then, what was the vision? Go to Macedonia. Here's the Macedonian man. They go to Macedonia. It's, it's, listen, it really is that obvious when you're submitted to God. You really don't have to guess that God is leading you or where God's leading you or to whom God is leading. Because when God wants to speak to you, he can speak to you. Amen? That's the point. And you may have to be sick and standing still for God to do that, but even so, God can make it perfectly clear to you where he's calling you to go. I rely on that. I count on that. So, Luke may have been there. He may have been sent for uh, for, uh, Paul's illness or to care for Paul. But Luke's arrival the next morning would have confirmed that this vision was from God, and off they go. Luke prepared to leave for Macedonia immediately, 
together with Paul, Silas, and Timothy, and they were all convinced that God had called them to travel to Macedonia through Paul's vision. Now, in these two sections that we looked at today, there are important principles, but probably the most important principle is be led of the Holy Spirit in who you minister to. Be led of the Holy Spirit in where you go. Be led of the Holy Spirit in the times that you take to raise others up in ministry and and who you choose to minister to and raise up in ministry. As you're praying your way through, oh, pastor, uh, you know, I want to help. And then the pastor stands back and says, oh, okay, um, is this the person that God is sending me to help and to raise up in ministry? You know, some people guard ministry like a family recipe. Well, maybe in about 12 and a half years, when you've been on six missions trips and served eight years and cleaned 10,000 toilets, maybe then we'll let you get involved in ministry. I hear these things, and, and then I wonder why churches are no longer in existence. You didn't pass the baton. You didn't share the family recipes. And I wonder why no one is there anymore. So there's that element. Passing the baton, passing on the legacy. But there's a very important point that that is overreaching over all these points, and it's you need to be led of the Spirit. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up. We're going to receive communion this morning. And as we do, I, I don't want to make a big thing out of this, but you probably, if you're like me, probably realizing, man, I, I, I live in Bithynia. Constantly trying to go to places that God hasn't called me to go. God has to knock me on my back in order for me to realize, oh, maybe I wasn't supposed to go to Bithynia. And by nature, we're all selfish creatures. So how much time are we really going to invest in others when it's all about us? In these areas of ministry, this is vitally important because what we're going to see next is amazing, but it starts with these points. Let's just take a moment, surrender our hearts to God as we prepare our hearts to receive communion and say, Lord... I'm a Timothy. I I need to be ministered to. I need to be raised up. Or I'm a Paul. I need to raise up a Timothy. Or Lord, I'm going in the wrong direction. Or I don't know where to go. Lord, speak to me. Direct me. Help me to see where you're calling me to minister. That I might glorify you with my life and that you might work in and through my life for your glory. Let's pray. Lord, Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for these very encouraging thoughts and meditations on ministry and how you led this ministry team to the place that they were called to go and how you put people on the team. One's a young man. One's a doctor. The others are Jews. And you put the team together. And now you're sending them into an area that, as far as I can tell, only one of them had ever been. And the success in ministry and the blessings that they'll experience and the challenges and the persecutions, all of it they could deal with because they knew you had sent them there. Send us, Lord. Here we are. Send us, we pray, as we submit our hearts to you and prepare them to receive communion. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.